Welcome to Better Cast Saul, the officially unofficial podcast for Better Call Saul on AMC. I'm Jim. And I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about Season 3, Episode 2, titled Witness. Uh, what'd you think of this episode? Uh... I thought it was good. It's can it so I listened to your guys' podcast on my way back from uh Miami yeah, oh, yeah. last week. I forgot last week you you weren't I did. with us. I, I ducked out. And by the way, I got a little jealous cuz you know when I said you could you could podcast with Eric, I didn't say you could like make mad passionate podcast love about Better Call Saul. That's I just, all Eric and I do, man. I, yeah, I it was That's uh, all we do. You should listen to Halt and Catch Fire. <laughs> I, I I I don't. I, I maybe I need to or maybe I don't. Like it it it, it, it <laughs> if I feel like it reduces the intimacy of our relationship i thought you guys did a really good job yeah thanks other than eric's refusal to see right yeah the the whole bamboozling of ernie well he knows now yeah yeah i think he knows now (laughs) if he's gonna deny it now then what are you gonna do yeah 97 percent of all scientists have said that uh ernie (laughs) ernie was bamboozled by by one chuck mcgill um i thought you guys did a real 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 nice job and when i watched the episode I was astounded by how little things were happening, but how absorbed I was into them. Yeah. Uh, similarly, this week, almost they flipped the weight of the script to balance more towards Jimmy. Um, and as Alan Zeppenwald po- uh, pointed out, it's also fun to see Jimmy be the private investigator to Mike's, you know, guy just, just waiting to get information. That was fun, too. Uh-huh. But that seems like seven minutes long. And the thing that made it work, I guess, is is Gus in the background, essentially like da dump. You know, he's like he's like <laughs> right. Jaws. You can see the fin kind of in the background. But and I, so I think it's great. And there was a lot of like like, like this this season feels more like Breaking Bad as far as cinema cinematically and mm-hmm. and the dynamicism of the camera work than any other season of Better Call Saul. Seen a lot more of Albuquerque, a lot more of the desert, but. I'm wondering how much longer they can do this. How much longer okay. they can spool out 15 minutes worth of episode for a full hour and people continue to be like, oh, gosh, look at how much the camera loves this. And how, yeah. What, what do you yeah. think? Uh, I don't know that I agree that that scene worked. Um, huh. But, but I, I get what you're saying about, you know, the, the pacing of it. I, I do think. So if it you don't agree, super... then it, it it must be even you're even more dissatisfied with the pacing. I am, yeah. Okay. Uh, well, not with the pacing necessarily, but with the way uh, that they introduced Gus, given mm. how much we already know about that um, scenario. I I think it, we'll we'll talk about it in detail when we get to those scenes. Mm-hmm. But um, as far as pacing goes, yeah, I'm also concerned with that because this was, I mean, not only do you have this seven minute scene where Jimmy is kind of sitting in you know, a Los Poyos scoping the place out right. silently, right. wordlessly. But you also have Mike's stuff where Mike is silently, wordlessly going on this stakeout, like following this guy for what must be another 15 minutes of the episode. Right. Like between those two scenes, I think it, this episode was half dialogue-less. Right. Like it, it was a shocking to what degree they they pulled the dialogue out of this, and, and where, where, it didn't feel terrible. Like I, I'm not you're right. like going to yeah. really complain too much about it, but I think they're they're on the knife's edge here. That's because because there's already a lot. There, the mailbag was fairly teeming with people like, "What the fuck?" Um, yeah, and I'm not to that point yet, mm-hmm. but I do think it worked a little less this week because last week there was the. There was just the pleasure of trying to figure out what Mike was doing. Right. From the jump, we knew what Mike was doing. Yeah. And they also did things like recycle an entire minute from the previous episode to set that action up. And I just like, mm-hmm. I I mean, it's 
it's always a pleasure to like to, to watch Mike work. And again, the shots of Albuquerque and some of the things the they did with and... the music and some of the things they did with like uh, mirages in the desert was just like really cool stuff that I haven't yeah. seen in anything except for I don't know like Lawrence of Arabia, <laughs> right? But yeah, I I don't know. I, I I feel like that starting next week things got got we we, we need the classic because because Breaking Bad would do this too. Uh-huh. This is a way to build tension. This is a very Hitchcockian way to, you know, just have the, the audience like desperate for something to happen and then you just really blow the place up. And Breaking Bad is good at that too. Two or three episodes of just really excruciating, not excruciating, uh, tension building character and plot development that then when did explode. I think it's about time for things to explode. And yeah. And I don't know that Jimmy's outburst with Chuck counts as an explosion because it was quickly mm-hmm. contained and then everything got quiet again. Yeah. Uh, probably appropriately so, but... It does start to feel a little self-indulgent at times. Yeah. Um, like the writers are just maybe having a little too much fun and not thinking so much about what the audience needs to see. Going down. But I think um, there's a lot of an audience that wants to see this nostalgic look back and like oh my god it's got oh here's uh, you oh know, for there's sure victor yeah. and and i i like those moments like when when jeremiah bitsui rolled up in the that was the one the that black suv yeah. i'm like F- yeah because i didn't expect it exactly yeah. whereas we've been gagging for 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 gus for since since the beginning but especially since yeah. you know last season they they pretty much telegraphed who it was so right uh i don't know how long can they keep keep doing this um i don't want to talk too much about it because I feel like this this happened in Breaking Bad, even in the heyday of Breaking Bad. Right. Like in season right. four, season five, I remember people bitching and moaning about, why isn't anything happening? So In some cases, it was also the opposite, too. Like, how long can they keep this crazy well, ride true. going? You know, that's the action true. has been so intense for five episodes. Right. What can they possibly come up with? And they always seem to pull it out. So I do still have faith in them. I think they just need to maybe pump the brakes a little bit on on how, on the pacing issues. Right. Like, I mean, on the and other by hand, pump the brakes, I mean hit the gas. The one, the one thing that I do appreciate about it is that the deliberate pacing feels very realistic. Uh-huh. Like you really get an idea of what a painstaking operation, you know, and how careful Mike is mm-hmm. at, and then you also get the appreciation of how new and bad Jimmy is at this and how he misses things and now he's jeopardized kind of Mike's Mike's operation and, and mm-hmm. I don't know that I don't know that that works in a 30 or 40 second version of that so like it, some some of this stuff is an emotional payload and if you're not patient enough to get it then you know I'm not saying you won't deserve the the thing when it finally comes I'm almost saying like you won't appreciate when the moment actually arrives because Vince is doing all this stuff just to get you into a certain emotional and mental mindset yeah that's probably true uh why don't we get into the recap okay hey before we get into discussion of the episode proper uh, I want to do a little bit of housekeeping by talking about the busy season we're under it's not just better call Saul we've got HBO's the leftovers Fargo starts this week in fact i think it's on this night if you're watching listening to this on a wednesday uh that's exciting we also have a lot of first run bald movies coming up we got the circle with tom hanks we got uh uh, guardians of the galaxy Mm -hmm. coming up first of may 
Uh, we also have a lot of commission podcasts. Uh, we just did Aliens, if uh, you're into that sort of thing. And we have, uh, we'll have we be talking about the 2006 remake of The Wicker Man, oh, starring yeah. the, the incomparable, the incandescence, <laughs> Nicolas Cage. Uh-huh. Uh, that will be a lot of fun. So we got we got just, just, just tons and tons of content. It's all at baldmove.com. Check it out if 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 you if you if you listen to Better Call Saul, Better Cast Saul, and you want some more. Uh, we start off with Chuck locking up his house, and he's watching through the windows, and you can tell he's kind of looking for Jimmy, waiting for him to make a move. Mm-hmm. While a rotund man plays cards in his house, we don't know who this guy is at the the present scene, but we'll find out later. Uh, it, you know, Chuck comes up to him. The guy's playing solitaire, and he explains about the casino cards. And I'm like, God damn it, Chuck! It's called solitaire. Back off, <laughs> back off. If I wanted, I fucking play gin rummy. If I wanted to talk to somebody, <laughs> yeah, right. Or have someone armchair solitaire me, right? Yeah, that's so Chuck, though. Yeah, it is. Chuck's just that guy. Yep, yep. Yeah, uh, not much to talk about here. I don't think. Is there? I mean, I'm always looking for why they're doing this because. This guy's playing with casino cards that have holes drilled in them, and you drill the hole to keep people from cheating. And I'm like, okay, this has got to mean something. Yeah. Um, it can't just be showing that Chuck is, like, you know, he's so pious about or pious about, um, you know, I've never been to Las Vegas. Right. I don't know how any of this stuff works. I gotta presume it's to keep people from cheating on cards. And, right. Um, I don't, by the way, I fucking hate Chuck. Uh, <laughs> and after this episode... I don't. Um, I, I I wish I'd. Well, I guess it's not too late. Uh, where are you at the the Chuck versus Jimmy divide? Are you still trying to propose that Chuck is going to be seen as a Skyler White figure, or was that? I mean, is that? I I mean, I've always just come down on both of them are kind of rotten in their own ways. You know, I'm. I I sometimes so it's it's fashionable on this podcast for people to go hard after Chuck, and I. <laughs> Agree with that. Uh, both you and Eric seem to mm. viscerally hate Chuck, <laughs> as do I. But uh, uh, the, the thing that I always try to, you know, emphasize is that Jimmy is no better in a lot of ways, just in different ways, more likable ways. But but here's the thing: still, still bad. I was thinking about this because what one of the awesome things about just listening to you and Eric have essentially the same uh, <laughs> conversation, the same de- de- debate that you and I have, is I can just kind of sit and like, okay, think about. And I guess here, here's the thing I want to try. Mm-hmm. If if you punch me in the face and I punch you back, we've mm-hmm. both done things, acts that civilization declares is 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 is, is outside the social contract. Mm-hmm. But you started it, mm-hmm. and that makes it in my mind. I don't know that it's not all like there's the two two, two wrongs don't make a right cr- crowd, but but I feel like in in, in any time a, a form of self defense is an absolute defense, right? Okay, and I feel like. I don't know, but the opinion I've gotten is that Chuck has always started this. Like, it's not that you know, it, it's not that Jimmy asked for his parents to like him more, or for him to be more charming, for him to have less a stick up his ass. Mm-hmm. That's just the things that were endowed f- to him by his upbringing and his nature. And Chuck has resented him for that, and has as 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 kept his you know has has pushed jimmy down his entire life yeah and jimmy a lot I, I like how much of his his um you know slipping jimmy routine is a rebellion from that and also from you know his experience with his father was his father was just a fucking rube mm-hmm. and and after being pointed out that the rube continued to be a rube and yeah. like what lesson is a kid supposed to learn from that well i mean uh, i i would at this point you know turn it around and say 
okay, well, Chuck is a man who has seen Jimmy, his brother, flout all of the rules his entire life Mm -hmm. um, and get away with it scot-free and not only get away with it, but have people love him for it. Um, And the fact that people don't see it when Chuck does is so aggravating to him that, you know, especially once he gets into the law and maybe that's the reason he got into the law in the first place is to stop people like his brother. But uh, I would say he's also been persecuted by the character of his brother, the whole, their whole lives. I just wish they'd made it, I don't know, because I feel like there'd be a little bit more shades of gray if he hadn't just tried to, you know, fuck him so hard last season. Mm-hmm. Because and, to I mean, me, the stuff with the that's room. not illegal, but it is not ethical nor moral. Sure. Yeah. And I, I feel like that it's – it's, I, I, I don't know. Maybe it's a little bit of outlaw in me, but I always – and maybe I watched too much Dukes of Hazard growing up, but I have far more sympathy for people who shade, uh, you know, color outside the lines in the purpose of doing good. Or at least not. I think, yeah, not I'm not sure why bad. you. I'm not sure why you limit Jimmy's activities to the good stuff because he does a lot of bad stuff. I mean, his entire line with Marco is all bad. Yeah, he's scamming people out of their money for no reason other than to just live the lifestyle he wants to live. But he's also defrauding a certain type of person. Like that's like that's saying Robin Hood's just a common thief. Nobody's stealing from a sheriff in Nottingham, which was who who was fucking the people, right? Like, I've never seen him go up to some just schmo in a station wagon and run a scam on him. It's always been some douchebag on a cell phone with a Rolex. And I'm not saying anyone with a, du- with, a, with, with a cell phone and a Rolex is a douchebag. I'm just saying <laughs> if you are loudly bragging about the deals that you're making, they're screwing over other people while you're at the bar, maybe yeah. you are. Sure, so, kid wins, know. total douchebag. All right, well, anyway, I, just, that guy. I, I want to introduce the whole he started at first argument. You've 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 de- you've, you've definitely shot it down. We, <laughs> okay. can, we can continue. I, like I said, I think they're both <laughs> no, bad in their it. own ways. Like it. I'm not excusing Jimmy. I'm not excusing Chuck. You're right. They're both bad in their own ways. I do think Jimmy's way more likable. I, I do feel like that there is going to be another flashback, like last year, that we're going to see some kind of you know first cause here that's going to definitively put to rest. You know who. Who started it? Yeah. Um, and then, then I can feel very good about hating hating. Chuck. I, I still don't feel bad about hating Chuck. No, I, I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> Chuck's an asshole. He really, as is. Jimmy says, he really is. Uh, one one other thing I couldn't help but notice is AMC is really doubling down on the silence thing. Did you see the Into the Badlands preview? That's completely silent. It's just so I was watching this on a Roku. I on was the streaming too. service. Yeah, and I I, oh. I I think what happens is I just completely checked the fuck okay. out. When yeah. when the commercials come on because they're unskippable yeah and I just I just you know I just I just tone out I, I zone out that one's completely silent like, really not silent I mean there's no dialogue uh, in the whole thing it's just people doing kung fu and I think that's into the badlands there's no they don't they've saved the whole money. show they they just hire stunt coordinators they can pay them stunt, like extras yeah and uh, there's no no actual script runners <laughs> script writers or showrunners on into the badlands that's perfect. <laughs> Uh, so we come back to Better Call Saul, and two guys are sitting in their car. A third drives up, and they hand over the gas cap. I think at the beginning of the scene, we're meant to think this is part of the stakeout on Chuck's house, mm. that, that these guys are, are working with Chuck. Oh, I, since this was literally the last two minutes of the last episode, I immediately got, got that, oh, this is Mike tracking the goons. It's a different camera this angle. This was the but end the, of the last episode? Yeah, yeah. It, it's, 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 this is exactly the last huh. minute or two. And it's just a different camera angle. It. It's like instead of seeing it from Mike's perspective, gotcha. we're seeing it from the goon's perspective. Yeah. But I found that a little 
a little. Um, I mean, and that might that might have reflect and in, in, inform my attitude for the rest of uh, the show. But I'm like, ooh, this is coming up pretty high. Yeah, to recycle content on a sh- on a show that this is so slow of a burn. Uh, so the third guy drives off, and Mike follows him via the tracker. He sees him making a bunch of pickups throughout the night, and then eventually follows him to dun 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 Los Poyos Hermanos. And this is where the episode starts to initially lose me. Mm-hmm. Um, this reveal on this Los Poyos sign mm-hmm. is made to be so dramatic, right? And I don't think there's a person who's seen Breaking Bad who isn't already thinking this is Los Poyos. We see Gus's car. We see the familiar framing of the windows. Like, do you, you think- know that this building is Los Poyos? They don't need to put this heavy, dramatic music over the reveal of the very slow reveal of the sign. I was like, that was a bit much. Yeah, I, I, I mostly am agreeing with you, but I'm also saw review after review of people saying how pleasurable it was to see this slow reveal of this, even if they saw it coming a mile away, and also acknowledging that not everyone is a super fan. Like we've mm-hmm. often said that the people listening to this podcast are the one percenters as far as fandom, because yeah. If it's any more than that, we'd be super rich. We'd but have you... millions of people downloading these podcasts and advertising would be crazy. And, <laughs> That's true. <laughs> uh, but, you know, so so I think that even if you're – like you can call yourself a Breaking Bad fan and still not be sure of what the exterior of Los Polos Hermanos looked like. I suppose so, but with so that reveal plastered all over the advertising for this that, season. See, and that's, that's, that's the biggest problem. Yeah, and because we know Gus is coming but back, you also can't. So you're looking for you it. can't hold the the Villigan and the Ghoul responsible for that because they have no responsibility for the marketing of AMC. Like they, that's true. Yeah, they and I, Sony make this shit. They ship it off to AMC. AMC markets it. I think it's a terrible job on AMC. Yeah, it's a cheap. Like, it's a cheap cash grab. Like right? if you like, want to go on the AMC website and do the fun little, you know, uh, Gus training materials for Los Paulos Romanos, that's fine. Yeah. But to put it on on the commercials, and I even saw this at the movie theater. Like Gus is coming back. Gus is back. Gus is back. Yeah. That and and, and then I guess. I don't know. I, I, I share, but but also I, I recognize that you and I are not the entire fan base and not even the entire fan base listening to this podcast. And there's some people that really, really like that slow burn and then the reveal of the Los Polos Hermanos. Yeah, some people do. I'm, you know, I'm not one of them. I actually thought this scene started what is a string of scenes that... Eh, I'm not. I'm not sold on. All right, but I do wanna, anyway, there's a couple I, I, things that are cool in this. I, I do want to. Yes, I want to talk about. You know, if if you're going to go a slow burn, go for broken visuals and holy yeah. shit, that scene of Mike. There's several scenes of Mike slowly cresting hills and beholding an awesome scene, and this of like the beautiful. I would never describe Albuquerque. It's a beautiful city. I'd never describe it as jewel like. But damn mm-hmm. it, if it is not. Like I was expecting Mike to br- bust out into a soft shoe and start be like. City of stars, are you shining? <laughs> just would go full into La La Land because it looked so damn good. And yeah. then later, when when he's looking at that weird bridge with the four tunnels underneath it, and they're using that uh, like a pan tilt or tilt focus technique that makes it almost like a like a model. Yeah, it looks like a model. That. That weird. Uh, I, I I always think that's a really cool effect, and it's a particular type of lens they use to make full size things look like miniatures, and it's the damnedest mm-hmm. thing. Like I don't know how. I still don't. I I read a Wikipedia article telling how the technique works, and I still don't understand it. Yeah, they mentioned like the the special camera they were using for that, and how like. 
they put it slightly out of focus. I don't know if they were talking about this scene or or ones before. Yeah, yeah, the one with they the slightly it, yeah defocus and, it so the lights really pop. And then the they actually digitally composited the in focus yeah. bottom with the top and. and, and I can kind of tell. Apparently, they're, this new camera they got, they're able to shoot these nighttime scenes with no additional lighting. Yeah. And if you, if you, oh, by the way, if you, if you don't usually listen to the Insider podcast, you've got to listen to the first minute of it. Because, <laughs> oh, right. Because Jonathan Banks is a, I guess, a former DJ, and he does like a, a DJ, like, like a, like a back in his youth, like DJ thing. To, it, it's incredible. I don't want to spoil it, but it's, it's yeah. amazing. Um, but yeah, there to the extent that they were talking, this this thing's got a a native ISO. If you know anything about cameras, of five thousand, that seems high. That seems crazy high. <laughs> and the the DP for this episode is telling Vince is like, oh man, it's a full moon tonight. I don't know, we might have problems. Like that's ridiculous. Yeah. So, but it looks great. They were like, saying it sees things sometimes you can't see with your naked eye, right? Like because it's so dim, right? Uh, crazy. Uh, but but it looks amazing because you can tell like these night scenes look like night scenes. Yeah. And um, it seems like a kind of a, a big step forward in, in the art of movie making and filmmaking. Mm-hmm. So the yeah. other thing I like about these scenes is this is I feel like this is Mike's introduction to the system which he will later use in Breaking Bad when him and Walt and Jesse all go into business together with these all dead, the dead drops. drops. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm sure he's familiar with the concept before sure. that. Sure. Um, but it's a nice little, you know, preview. Right. Uh, yet again, Mike, an- another silent scene, and another sleepless night. This old man is getting no rest. He isn't. He's. He, I don't. I, I, maybe he's taking that super secret drug that the De- the Delta Force guys use, and they just can go four days without sleep. But... I thought it was especially ironic because this third guy is telling these guys, "Stay awake, uh-huh. stay awake." Where stay this woke. old fucking man, that ninety five year old man yeah. in the car, uh-huh. he's been awake for six months. Get with it. You don't need coffee. He store. He's like a camel. He stores sleep in his nose and ears <laughs> for for times when it's lean. Yep. Uh, then we move on to Jimmy and Kim interviewing Francesca, who's another uh, familiar face if you've uh, seen Breaking Bad. Sugar tits. Oh, yeah. Jimmy is really only concerned with her demeanor um, in regards to the elderly. Kim wants to do a more thorough review, but Jimmy has a commercial airing soon, and he wants someone to answer phones. So he asks, can we just do a trial run with her? Um, need her to start today. And then uh, Kim agrees, and they uh, he coaches her through the first call from a client. Yeah. Um, she does pretty well. She goes very folksy with it. And then Mike happens to be the second call inviting Jimmy to breakfast. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like this is a little bit of uh, foreshadowing for the later. I mean, we know about Jimmy, and he's not a guy who he, – he's all into instant gratification. But this just sets it up to, like, literally I got one of these shitty commercials in 11 minutes, and the phone's going to ring off the hook, and I want to deal with it. So you're yeah. a warm body. You work for the, the, the DMV or the MVD. Did you – I thought that was – I'd forgotten the controversy, the quote-unquote controversy, of Saul getting the DMV wrong. Uh-huh. Which is funny because I grew up in Indiana where it's the BMV right. for no fucking good reason. They want to throw a bureau in there. Um, but it's a cool way to kind of retcon that because mm-hmm. he's like, he, they, they, they lampshade it. And then Jimmy, being Jimmy, is like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to call it the DMV anyway. It's stupid. Yep. Uh, and I, and I, I, I like that. Uh, I also love that. Jimmy has a rocking chair in his office. 
mm-hmm. just perfect. Oh yeah, and you got all these elderly clients. Sure, I mean you probably bought it from fucking Cracker Barrel. That's, that's probably that's easy two ninety nine expense. Boom, yep. get the barrel with the giant oversized checkerboards. <laughs> right, the peg game. Yeah, get you're gonna those. get those. Those geezers are never gonna leave though, Jimmy. That's the thing. Yeah, that's the problem. What I find interesting, and like this is my another a microcosm, is Jimmy engineers the situations that will be his undoing. Uh huh. Like. It's one thing to care about the elderly and to to make them feel safe and secure, but he lays it on so thick it's almost like encouraging them. Like you can't be pissed yeah. off when if you say if you tell a friend, "Hey, come in, make yourself a home," and they help themselves with beer in a fridge and prop your feet up on your end table, you uh-huh. can't be pissed. You told them to make themselves a home, right? Like, hey, folksy, so talk about Cracker Barrel and then be pissed when they want to go in about their fucking butter biscuits. Like, no, like <laughs> stop it. Yeah. Uh, did you see? It's did, tough. Were, were people haranguing Kim on and on and on no. about a Cracker Barrel? No, because she's workmanlike and caring and proficient, and she doesn't encourage this bullshit. Yeah, that was the first thing I thought. You're you're just digging yourself in, yeah, Francesca. So, but, and maybe that's why Francesca ends up so bitter and and tired of the shit, you know? Oh, look. Like she's French- beaten down by conversations with the elderly constantly. I don't, I, I don't even think you need that <laughs> excuse. Like, just, she is going to go through. She's going to survive this transition from Jimmy to Saul. That's that's all the reason you need. Yeah, Like, true. you can never take anything that this guy says seriously ever again. Yeah. Anything he says high-minded about ethics or just like, fuck, forget it. And they, they also... Uh, I don't know if I'd call it lampshading. No, um, they they also make a nice little reference here to Jimmy and his crooked ways. By he's he's looking at the logo that he's got taped up on the wall. She says, "Oh yeah, you're a little crooked over there on the M, and it's obviously on the McGill side." Sure. Oh yeah, little yeah, crooked. He is a little crooked. Um, I was surprised that maybe there was a chicken place open for breakfast as well. Los Pollos open Packed. for breakfast. Yeah, like like I haven't seen a Hardee's that packed. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, I, I, it's, does KFC have breakfast? Do, do no, like chicken no. places? They does, don't does usually. Chick Fil A, Popeyes. No. I don't know that any of them do breakfast. No, uh, no. it was weird to me. Los Pollos, I mean, they, they, the they, they, they might need to because I saw uh, McDonald's is selling these chicken biscuits for for uh, for the breakfast now. They need the they're yeah. muscling in the territory. They are. Colonel's not going to take that <laughs> sitting down. Uh, the there was you know the great Cracker Barrel line here. Uh-huh. <laughs> Just gonna want to talk about Cracker Barrel. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Mike's not having it. I was uh, someone. Um... Someone sent a meme of just a picture of Jonathan Banks, with, and you saw that in the mailbox. And yeah. I responded that, like, yeah, he likes he likes to hang out at the Greasy Spoons, or the waitresses flirt with the uh, with him about snow in the driveway. Yeah. So yeah, where you can actually get, get breakfast, yeah, as opposed to a greasy chicken wing. Yeah. All right, Mike has Jimmy investigate the LPH Los Pollos Romanos. He has a brief brush with Gus, and then he goes back out and tells Mike that absolutely nothing happened with the guy in his bag. Mm-hmm. That he saw, so this—I think they really bungled this scene. Wow. I, I don't like this scene at all. Um, okay. I think it's way outside of Jimmy's character. I don't think Jimmy, as a person with as much conning and as much as he's done in his life, gets flustered at all in this situation. But I mean, none of his the, 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 his flustering didn't get didn't undo him. He just has no I know, he has but, no field craft. Like what's obvious happened is that when when Gus came over to to do the cleanup by the table, he somehow corralled whatever the guy dropped between his feet into his dustbin and went on with his way. And Jimmy doesn't know enough to be like he's looking for another low life. 
yeah. the meet him there and then or leave the bag or he, I, I I think Mike would have smoked it out if he was actually there on the scene. It's not about you know how he got the job accomplished or didn't in this uh-huh. case. It's about his character in this situation, and I don't think he walks in there and goes. Oh, I don't I don't know how to act here at all. I don't know how to be nonchalant and mm. casual. No, that's not Jimmy at all. Hmm. Jimmy under pressure is emphatically nonchalant and casual. Okay, that's a fair point. I I didn't think of it, but I guess that I enjoyed the kind of the the role reversal of the he's the secret agent, uh, you know, fixer guy and Mike is yeah. the guy, you know, waiting for information, waiting for news, um the paymaster. I but but you're right you're right he they 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 hammed it up a little bit it was entertaining but it might have done a little bit of disservice to his character it felt to me like they had this idea for a scene and they just didn't have the character to match it uh yeah like they had to make Jimmy into something he's not to fit the scene and I, I mean I don't like it I so would you have been fine I the, the the only thing that really mattered everything else is just for yuck so the only thing that really mattered yeah. was the trash scene uh huh. I thought that was fine. That was great. When he slips off his watch, and that's showed, Jimmy. That's exactly, right. yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a guy that thinks under pressure and fast on his feet. And, and you then know. just plays it off, has a conversation with Gus, you know? Right. And that's the thing. Like, I don't I don't, I don't, don't blame him for not suspecting Gus because who yeah. would? No one did. <laughs> no the one. DEA, chief DEA agent of Albuquerque never smoked him out. So yeah. what, do you, what, what are you going to do? You know who did smoke him out? Who? Walter White. <laughs> He's the one guy... Who was able to determine that Gus is is the man here? You know, takes one guy hiding in plain sight to know another guy. I suppose. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. Uh, now the other thing that threw me is I was pretty because de- because we visited Los Polos Hermanos, which is a place yeah. called Twisters mm-hmm. uh, or ways at Twisty. Is it Twister? Yeah, it's Twisters. It's I think a, so. Yeah. Uh, in in Albuquerque, and um, they had remodeled it. They they had changed a lot of the paint. I mean, nothing crazy. It's still recognizably, but they changed a lot of the exterior and inter- internal. In fact, I went back and looked through our photo roll of Albuquerque to, to verify that. Mm-hmm. So they've remodeled it back. Yeah. Now I hope to God that they leave it that way. Just keep it. You know, they opened that one in New York, right? Yeah, it's like at the flat. What do they call that? Not a flash bar, but a uh, uh, pop up. Pop up. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pop up. They, they, store, they have yeah. a pop up Los Palos Los Pollos Hermanos in New York City. Right. That seems. Like, you could just take that AMC, or Sony, I guess, would own the IP. Right. Like, just take that and make that a chain. Right. Because people will eat there, and it will catch on. And and, and Twisters can't do that, but what they can... And they do have appropriate, like, homage to Breaking Bad. They've oh, yeah. they got posters, and like, yes, this is... Los- that logo by the door, when the he walks lo- in, is still there. Right, right, right. Um, but I was surprised to see that they changed it pretty, you know... Like, like I would I would do everything possible to keep it that way. And, yeah. And, like, play that thing up, you know? Right, but you know, I, I, and I could just see them like having to do that all, undo all that as soon as they're done filming. Yeah, and how they might have to do that several times over uh, the next few seasons. Like, okay, mm-hmm. it's time for us to go fucking make it Los Palos Hermanos again. All right, time to go put the other paint on, and <laughs> yeah. things gonna have twenty three coats of paint on it before everything's said and done. Yeah, if you own a painting business in Albuquerque right yeah. now, <laughs> try get, to get in. Try to get on the Twisters account. Yeah, it's, it's got a lot of upside. <laughs> Uh, but so I, I, I what did you think? So, so it didn't work for you. Yeah. Um, did it speed up at all? Because part of the thing is because they got it so realistic is it would be weird if Jimmy came in there and the guy immediately like, I don't know how I don't I, I would love to know 
Vince, who directed this episode, and Kelly Dixon, who edited it, how long a discussion they had about, like, okay, how long does Jimmy just fuck around in his restaurant before the guy in a backpack even shows up? Right. And then once the guy in a backpack shows up, how long until we show Gus? Mm-hmm. And, like, because like, those are, I think that's the, de- the devil is in those details, because... Uh-huh. If they sh- cut those things too short, then it seems silly and unrealistic. Yeah. Um, like they walk in together and yeah. they bump shoulders going through the door. Yeah. Hey, aren't you that Jimmy guy that's on the commercials? Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> What's in the backpack, guy? Yeah. Uh, no, I didn't think the pacing was bad. Um, I just thought mm-hmm. it was out of character. I, okay. I think the pacing was fine in this scene. Um, and they actually but, did a so, couple so of it's... tricks to make it better paced because they said um, in The Insider, they were way long on this episode. Like, mm. enormously long on time. So what they did, Kelly, I think Kelly had this idea, Kelly Dixon, the editor. Um, I I think it was her. She said, why don't we take the description? Because they had a scene of Jimmy and Mike sitting in a car together. Um, and he oh, was right, they ran that the voiceover as, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. so they just did his voiceover as he's entering. That's the, pretty smart. Los Poyos, yeah. I, it's, it's interesting to know they ran long because I think a lot of people are accusing them of padding things out. But I actually disagree. I think they're trying to achieve an effect. Yeah. Um, and, and more to the, your point is like I agree with you, what you're saying, but if, there, if if Jimmy wasn't doing any kind of antics at all, yeah, that'd have been such a sterile scene, right? Because I also I was very impressed by just how much Jonathan Banks is able to get away with just by furrowing his brows and pursing. Like, do you know how many different ways he has to show Mike contemplating it? Uh-huh. He's got like this thing where he goes to the side of his mouth and he chews on his inside <laughs> of his lips and he purses and he sucks on his teeth and he flares his nostrils and he. Does googly things with his eyes, like he's he's got his earlobes wiggling, like this, like every, everything. He's like doing everything he can as an actor to emote, so he's not just a, a picture of some hump in a in a in a car right. watching dudes. Yeah, it's really tough. So maybe and he's they, good at it, he's right? Great at it. And if you got Bob Odenkirk, it's like okay, I'll have him do some goofy shit. Oh yeah, lean against the coke thing. That's funny. Like yeah. you know, I felt like Jimmy could have had a plan going in. You know, like. Other than just sit there like a schmuck and and be darting his eyes around frantically looking for this guy in the bag, like mm-hmm. I expected Jimmy to be able to walk in there, have a conversation with the guy in the ba- with the bag, mm. and the guy with the bag to be no wiser because Jimmy is that good of a con man. Yeah, as good as Mike would be at tracking. Jimmy should be that good at conning. Yeah, if he's just, if he posts up at the counter schmoozing with the help, and then this guy happens to come up, and he just is like that's that's this okay, that's, and it wouldn't seem weird. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I I don't know what they I, I like I said I I, I don't know I, I don't want to criticize them too much because yeah. they're they know what they're doing. Let me criticize one more thing. Okay, that's Mike, it. Just one more. <laughs> Mike gets a little bit of blame here. Uh huh. So Mike is parked directly across the street in full view of this restaurant for his meeting with Saul and either or for his meeting with Jimmy and either Jimmy has walked from the restaurant out to his car, which is across the street on a right. on a side road. In uh-huh. plain sight, he's uh-huh. done this, or he's gotten in his car and he's driven across the road to park mm. right behind Mike. Yeah, and it's weird because that's that's bad on Mike. Within sight of the restaurant, why they, sh- they show Gus's spider sense tingling? And yeah. he's got. He, to be fair, that's established in Breaking Bad history that he's he's kind of got a sixth sense about him. But I thought it was yeah. funny when Mike was tailing the guy and he pulls up to the location. It's the bridge with the four things. And literally, because I was watching the subtitles, it literally says brake screeching. <laughs> and it's oh. nighttime. And he's got his headlights on. And he's like 100 yards away. Uh-huh. I don't know. And I'm like, who the fuck doesn't notice a car pull up brake squealing with headlights on at night? Yeah. 
and in yet the middle this, of a silent desert. Yeah, so like it's weird that they would then show Gus like you know, I my my Gus sense is tingling in the exact same situation only in da- daylight where he's not squealing his brakes. Mm-hmm. But but you're right, pretty bad, pretty bad field craft. Especially from a guy who trails someone at like three thousand meters, I think it was. Yeah, it's like one point eight miles. Just, just just letting it letting it flirt so much that he has to actually he loses contact and yeah. has to briefly speed up. Yeah. And then why didn't John just pull into the parking lot of Los Poyos at that point? Yeah, what's good for the camera and what's good for the plot sometimes are at odds. Yeah. Um, the other thing is, so Jimmy obviously wants to get involved in this case. You know, he's yeah. out in the car and he's like, what, what's the next move? Uh-huh. And Mike's like, no. And Mike, <laughs> Mike is so uh, sure about not getting Jimmy involved in this that he does the ultimate like statement, the ultimate power move, which is he leans Lins over Jimmy and opens his door for him. That's like this conversation is over. Yeah, yeah. It's Goodbye. like when you it's like when you get up behind your desk, cross the office, and open the door, just right. like out now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's good. But I, I encourage everyone when he comes back and gives the the blow by blow account of his backpack. Oh, the guy's bold with his extra salsa. Just look at Jonathan Banks' expressions. Uh. The 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 just cavalcade of of facial lip quivers that he's got is in and jowl shaking is crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> All right, um, come no, back. From, the, the, the one yeah. other thing is he says, "I just want you to remember who's got your back." Yeah. Do you think that's going to be important later? Probably. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think Mike's. You know, Mike is is Saul's go to guy mm-hmm. um, in Breaking Bad, so. They've got to have another level to this relationship other than just casual acquaintance. I know one thing we did on the Breaking Bad rewatch in last season of Breaking Bad, or uh, Better Call Saul, is we were wondering how they're going to get around the uncomfortable thing where it is made clear in Breaking Bad that Saul doesn't know the identity of Gus. Yeah. But Mike does. And, and, and Saul, in fact, feels betrayed when he finally realizes that Mike's been working for Gus all along. Mm-hmm. I feel like... They did a pretty good job of showing how that can still that fiction can be maintained because Jimmy has no no clue that Gus is is going to be this drug pin. Yeah, like he's he's clearly heard of him, and and Mike is the guy who knows a guy who knows a guy. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that he knows the who Gus is and that Mike is working for Gus. So I think yeah. I think they're so far very 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 adept at dodging uh, any of the plot holes like that. Uh, we come back from commercial at Los Poyos, and Mike is taking the place out again. He's recording the cars that are going in and out, and suddenly an SUV speeds in, uh, pulls up around back, and then heads back out of the parking lot, and he follows. He takes the bait. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we can see as he drives away, he rolls down his window for no real reason other than to show us that it's Victor. It's Victor. Jeremiah Bitsui, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was happy to see that because I wasn't expecting it, you know? Yeah. Uh, I thought it was just going to be some rando, but yeah, yeah, no, I, I, because I, I remember thinking like, you know, they got, uh, they got uh, Max or Sinega last year. Are they gonna, are they gonna bring Jeremiah Bitsui back in? I, yeah. I felt like they'd almost have to. Makes sense, but uh, they did. So mm-hmm. cool. I hope we see a lot more of him this year because he's he's a cool guy. Yeah. Um, how how'd you feel about Mike kind of taking the bait here? You think? I think that worked. I, I largely do. I'm, I think I'm, so. Mike the is track, not yeah. super superhuman, right? You know, in his intelligence, right? How is he going to know that that they that that Gus made him here? Yeah. So if he had seen the way Jimmy was acting in there, he would have known immediately. Maybe but he couldn't see it. Do you think so? I mean, do you think that Gus would have found it unusual for some guy that was trying to find his like what? Because like 
sh- weird shit like that happens in restaurants all the time. I don't think that alone tipped him off. I think it's more the combination of him reporting back to this guy who, yeah, like it's. So I don't think that I, I went back and forth. The first time I watched it, I'm like, oh, Jimmy's just fucking this all up. But the second time I watched it, I'm like, I don't know that if I'm Gus, I think anything here is amiss other than this guy, some asshole threw away one of the plastic baskets. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, that was a nice little touch. Uh-huh. Because Gus, uh, that's the great that's thing about the, Gus. That's, yeah. He's just, he's studious on all levels, that, right? And like, that's why his cloaking uh, effect works so well, because yeah. he's the guy who sweats the five-cent plastic basket. Yeah. Even though he's making $50 million <laughs> a month on the side. Right. Uh, so Ernesto drives his ridiculous car over to Kim and Jimmy's law offices where he meets with Kim to tell her what he heard on the tape. And then Kim goes in and confronts Jimmy about it. And Jimmy seems devastated that Chuck taped him. And Kim vows to help him figure it out. Really takes a win. I, you and Eric went on and on about this guy's spoiler on his car. Do you know that's stock Subaru That's WRX? a stock. It's still ridiculous. Oh, no, totally. That changes that's, nothing. <laughs> I actually wanted to buy one. And when I found out that that's you couldn't get one, like I actually... Uh, uh, you couldn't get one without the spoiler. Uh-huh. I'm like, that's just, I can't, I can't, I can't sit. I looked into like getting the, because um, it's an, it's it's essentially a hellified Impreza. Uh-huh. I was like looking at how hard it would be to get like just a regular trunk from an Impreza and paint and match it, but there's like slight differences in how the the they're mounted in there. And I'm like, yeah. fuck it, I'm not gonna spend thirty five, forty thousand dollars on a car <laughs> and then spend another fifteen hundred dollars to make it not ugly. Right. Who the hell? Who the hell besides Paul Walker? Paul Rest yeah. in peace. Who the hell thinks that's cool? And Ernie. Ernesto, yeah. And Ernie. And Ernie's not cool. That's true. Ernie is profoundly uncool. Where are you at on uh, him being Gus's son watch? Because I'm off it. Yeah, I think I'm off it too. I think this there like it is a coincidence that they share a lot of the same kind of sensibilities and stuff, but yeah. I don't see Gus's quote unquote adopted son or protege driving a Subaru WRX. It's a little too out there, a little too flamboyant. Yeah, uh, and, and, and kind of like losing his cool over the situation. Yeah, that was the thing that struck me is I just don't think that I, – I don't think that Gus raises a son who has the right. demeanor of Ernesto. No, I think Ernesto is a mailroom nerd Yeah, that Jimmy probably would have loved to, to, to hang around. Yeah. He's, he's, an out, he's an outsider just like Jimmy was. So I think that's case closed. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh there is there is a moment before she finds out about Ernesto where Kim, you know, takes a look around the office and sees all of Jimmy's clients and how happy he makes them and how he's just playing it straight here. He's yeah. doing wills. He's He's got business. And Kim almost looks proud of him for a second. Right. And then Ernie comes in and totally crushes that, which I found, you know, somewhat sad, um, but also probably deserved. Right. Uh, and then I felt bad for Ernie, too, because he's like... He's out there. He's so worried about this. He doesn't know what to do. I mean, Chuck is intimidating him. Uh, he he tells Kim like I didn't I didn't want to call because of whatever. Kim says, "Well, you called me," and he's like, "Right, oh shit, yeah, I guess I screwed up already." Yeah, it's <laughs> like I, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm fucking this up all as I go. Yeah. Um, and, and then the other thing that is a callback or a foreshadowing for Breaking Bad is when Kim tells Jimmy to hand me a dollar. Jimmy's like, oh, I got some twenty, and of course Jimmy and has a like, I'll take wallet. It. Oh, right, yeah, <laughs> but that's exactly what he does later on in the yep. desert with Walt and Jesse. Yep. Um, and and I think the most profound thing in this scene is just how devastated Jimmy is by what and Chuck's how done. moved Kim is. Yeah, because she's kind of had the moral superiority 
you know, ever since this reveal and she's covered for him and she, you know, knows but doesn't know and they're not talking about it. And here she's just she's she's bummed out because, you know, this is devastating to Jimmy. And also Jimmy's in this position because he was trying to help her out. Now, I don't think she does nor necessarily feels bad because of that particular fact, because she didn't ask for help. Yeah, she said last year didn't particularly need the help either. But that's what happened, and I do think she feels just just a little bit of not not bad, but fellow feeling like she loves Jimmy. Yeah, and Jimmy's hurt, and his brother's an asshole, and is 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 making a mountain out of a molehill here. So yeah, he's a huge unwashed asshole. I mean the the thing that crushes Jimmy here, I think, is that Chuck is able to get over his phobia or illness, whatever you want to call it, in order to bring him down. Right, and that's like. That just demonstrates to Jimmy how much Chuck actually hates him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, especially after he had that moment, you know, where he didn't hate him for 10 minutes or whatever. I will say, season. though, that all that shit he was talking... That's just one thing that kind of sticks in my craw. All that shit he was talking last season, uh, why he's pretending to be crazier than he was, like, I don't... I, I, Chuck's illness. I, I don't I don't know why I think about it. I mean, I know it's bullshit, Okay, but I'm starting to think that he knows it's bullshit because mm. he was saying things that I think a person would say, like, like, oh, how stupid was I thinking that two by fours and plaster was going to stop EM radiation? Right. Like, obviously, your phones don't stop working when you come in, let alone the windows. So, like, I feel like if a person genuinely believed he was this sick, he would coat a, at least a room or his bedroom in some kind of Faraday cage. Yeah. So the fact that he doesn't. I don't know, man. Like he just—he's way too easy to turn this shit on and off for me to think that it's not even. I mean, obviously, it's not a real physical condition. Yeah. But like, I also think that some of this is um, even more nefarious and flimsy than that. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, it seems like a way that he controls Jimmy. Yeah. Uh, or a way that he's attempted to control. Controls Jimmy. many people and manipulates. Like, like, him, like yeah. he lost control in his life at some point when his wife left him. Yeah. And to re- he has got this new mechanism to exert absolute control over people whenever he wants to. And he yeah. can turn it on and off at, at will. Yep. So, um, dick. <laughs> then, then Jimmy excuses his final client, and he has a moment to sort of consider his options uh, as he finishes the, the WM logo on the wall. Kim tells him what she's discovered about his legal options, and Kim suggests they wait for Chuck's next move, next move and then they act. Sage advice. You should listen yeah. to your legal counsel, Jimmy. Uh, and it, it would have gone over well, but Jimmy decides he's pissed off and he wants to make his own move. Uh-huh. So he storms off. Uh, we found out a couple of, of clear things here about Mexico or New Mexico being a one-party consent state. Right. Um, I also know that um, I looked at this U.S. versus McKeever case, and I'm sure we have, like, Doug L. or somebody writing in to tell us about it. But it, basically, she's researching extortion cases. Mm-hmm. She might be building a case against Chuck. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how that's going to go, but uh, I, I think the thing that really trips Jimmy up here is he's unrolling this tape the same way that his brother taught him the previous episode. And it's working. Yeah. And then when he rips it off, it, it, it fucks everything up. It does. Yeah. So, like, you know, lesson here is sometimes Chuck's right. Yeah. Kim is a liar, though. Kim has proved to be a liar, 
in this scene where she says it does not look like a start, stock market crash. It most definitely does. I actually surprised because I thought it was going to look like some kid trying to do the Metallica M on his notepad. Uh-huh. I, the way they did it with the brown and the blue, like I actually think it's a, a, a decent yeah. logo, mm-hmm. uh, even if it is a bit crooked. <laughs> so, But yeah, when uh, he said the stock market crash, I'm like, oh, yeah. It does. Uh, should have led with the W. Or it should have been MW. There you go. Then, yeah. then it would have looked like a stock market rise. Yeah. What are you thinking, I like Jimmy? It. It's not too. It's a pain's cheap. It's not too late. It's true. You've already <laughs> fucked up the edge. Just, just repaint it. Anything else in this scene? Or? Nope. Okay, let's move on to Mike. He's tracking this gas cap. He tracks it out to the desert where he finds a phone ringing in the middle of the road. He answers it, and we cut away. Mike levitating out of this hill because of the mirage yeah. was really fucking cool. Super cool. Yeah. Uh, it's a beautiful shot. And his annoyance and like just realizing he's been outplayed uh, was 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 well done. Where do you think what's going to happen here? I think they're taking him to the chicken chicken ranch, although I know that they can't actually shoot that because that set has been demolished. But I recreate it. Yeah. Or I wonder if like maybe maybe Gus doesn't have the chicken ranch yet. He's buying chicken. He's buying chicken from uh, G- GFC or whatever the hell it is, uh-huh. and, and that, that's he's going to cut out the middleman. You're going to see in the last scene of Better Call Saul, it's going to be a CGI construction scene <laughs> of the chicken farm. Yeah, if you don't know what we're talking about, they actually destroyed the chicken farm. They actually destroyed it as they were filming. Yeah, like, they, they they found that, that when they're starting to the refilm, I think season four. Yeah, uh-huh. has that's, uh, that that they were demolishing that building, so they made an arrangement that they'll start demolishing one end, and they desperately filmed the other intact end. Yeah, and 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 they finished it like with like a day to spare. So yep, pretty cool. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's Gus on the phone. I don't know if he's directly on the phone, but Mike is being called in. Mm. Um, and I, I assume this is when he'll start working for Gus yeah. in, in some capacity. How do you think that he is going to eventually be Victor's boss? Uh, I feel like maybe the guy who takes the gas cap and does all the pickups of the dead drops uh-huh. might be Gus's or might be Victor's boss at this point. And Gus is going to get rid of him because he's sloppy. Yeah. Here's the thing. My interpretation of the infamous box cutter scene was that shocked Mike because he's never seen Gus do something like that before. Yeah. If he does a box cutter on this poor mook that's that's Victor's boss and Mike becomes his boss, I'm, I'm not even going to say it because I think, I think Vince is smart enough to know his own damn show. I would hope so. But I don't know. Is there a nonviolent way that they can resolve that? Can, can you, I mean, you don't you don't get out of the mafia. That's right. Typically, if you're uh, if you're a mafia lieutenant and you get replaced, it's not like retirement. Yeah. It's not like well, it didn't work out, so I guess you'll go back to being uh, a maid. You know, just a dude on the street, a button man. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe he has him picking up chicken drops. Like <laughs> just pick, he's a truck driver now. Sure, sure. Yeah, he's gonna be uh, he's gonna be pr- promoted to overseeing the construction of the chicken <laughs> right. chicken farm. Yeah, the chicken factory. There you go. And he's, then he's gonna be built into the foundation of it. <laughs> <laughs> but Mike won't be part of that. No, he won't see it. Uh, so Howard does his best Ferris Bueller routine, which oh also my God. happens to be the worst Ferris Bueller ever done. 
to get to Chuck's house in, via the back route. I didn't make it all the way through the Insider, and that's been a, a pattern of mine because yeah. I'm, I'm I'm listening to it as I'm getting everything together, and it's, just, it's getting longer and longer, and I and I, I haven't got a chance, so I didn't get to the part. But I was desperate to know what Vince said about directing this guy to do this. Yeah. <laughs> it's hilarious because it is like just his little hops to try and then he's climbing yeah. this and then and just to him trying to get to the top of his wall in this suit oh it's it's great i think this is the most breaking bad that i felt from this show in a couple of episodes at right, least right because this is walter white like can you imagine walter white trying to do the same thing except for the thing about howard is he's he looks like he's so fit uh-huh. But he's not. He's awkward, but he's not struggling. Like his pulse never went up. He never broke a sweat. He's That's just true. awkwardly trying to manage this thing he's physically capable of in this suit. Yeah, and it's like such a. It's a fine distinction. I th- and this, the way he runs. Oh God, yes, his sneaky run. My girlfriend said he runs. He even runs like he has a stick up his ass. <laughs> which the man is can't bend at the true. waist. Have you seen him? Have or you seen him bend at the waist? I haven't. No. Uh, no. It really, really funny. Yeah. Um. So he, he gets to Chuck's house, and he asks Chuck to shut down the sting operation for cost reasons, actually. Um, just then, Jimmy breaks whoa, whoa, down whoa, the door. Whoa, 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 yeah. That's another thing I disagreed with you and Eric's take. <laughs> I, I don't think that Howard was especially – I think Howard thinks that Chuck is crazy. Yeah. Well, I mean, I oh, think he sure. knows he thinks he's crazy. But I, I think he thinks the same as we all do, that Jimmy – just did this to make his brother feel better. In fact, I think yeah. we're going to find out that Howard is going to be a problematic witness because he's going to have to tell all sides of that story. Like, yes, Jimmy broke in, yeah. but he's distraught. Because cause you imagine if... That's a good point. It's weird because I'm going to ask you to go through like some kind of five-dimensional space logic for this. <laughs> but, but, but if you're an outside observer and you see this brother do this almost self-sacrificing thing where he just he just admits to this crazy conspiratory conspiracy theory shit just mm-hmm. to make his brother have a little bit of a modicum of mental stability. Yeah. And then that brother has a temerity to tape that confession to further bolster his conspiracy. It's it's fucking cruel and like if I can I can easily see people being like okay, maybe I wouldn't kick the door down and break but like that's not completely unacceptable behavior. Uh-huh. And this is more of a domestic dispute than real criminal activity. But I, I don't know. Yeah, and I mean, if they do want to get into the history um, that these brothers have right. together, Howard has seen a lot of that. That's what I'm saying. Howard and has I, seen Chuck hold Jimmy back time and time again. And I think Howard's more sympathetic to Jimmy than Howard's than, than Chuck suspects. And uh, I Because I, yeah. it seemed like from last week both you guys <laughs> were thinking He did call him that... a pig fucker, though. <laughs> <laughs> but but I think Howard's self aware enough to know like yeah I am I don't want to be but Chuck is making me do this yeah right 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 I I've been in the position where I'm the hatchet man and I don't feel good about it and sure. if someone calls yeah. me a hatchet man like well yeah I kind of am you can't get mad at him for for uh, putting an accurate label on you yep that's true uh so just then Jimmy breaks down the door and he destroys the tape shouting at Chuck the entire time and Howard and the private detective are both witnesses uh yeah I. J- Chuck, I don't know if he underestimates or overestimates Jimmy here, but he did not expect Jimmy to break in in full daylight and just kick down the door and destroy this tape. Yeah, we have a lot of really good and uh, fairly unique insights from our listeners to this. I don't want to step on their toes, but I think there was a lot. There's a lot of really interesting things about how 
Chuck and Jimmy both know each other, but there's limits to that knowledge. Mm-hmm. And a lot of, like, they filter what they know of each other through what they would do. Yeah. Like, yeah, he knows Jimmy roughly, but, you know, uh, you know Chuck is the guy who would sit back in the back and, and, and be sneaky and underhanded and under the cover of night. And he doesn't realize just what a betrayal that Jimmy's going to see this as. Yeah, that's the thing. I like mean, he, Jimmy's too pissed. I think he thinks Jimmy is going to like like think he's he's going to be like a beat dog when he's yeah. confronted with this, rather than enrage that like I just did this because I cared for you, stupid ass. Either uh, way, I think it actually works out better for him than he could have imagined because Jimmy is now threatening to burn the fucking house to the ground. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, it's psychotic. Like I if mean, you're if you're just a third party, if you're this uh, this beefy private eye playing cards, like this is pretty extreme shit. Yeah, like this seems like a ravings of a lunatic. It does, uh, and I mean, even that could get Jimmy in extra trouble. You know, I mean, he's essentially death threats. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like to me. I, and I'm not a lawyer. I'd have to check with some of our resident lawyers. But I, none of this seems like something you would do jail time for. This seems like stuff. That, but but I do think it's something that you get disbarred for. And yeah. I think that's what Chuck is get, gunning for. I yeah. think he wants yeah. Jimmy to not practice law. Yeah. Especially using his last name. Which might be – because we've speculated about, like, Chuck must be committed or killed. Mm-hmm. Because there's no way, like, like how in the world would Jimmy be out there practicing law as as Saul Goodman, recognizably as Saul Goodman, if, if Chuck's breathing or in a, a situation where he could do something about it? Right. There is an alternative. I can't remember where I read this, whether on Reddit or it was on a review or something, where someone uh, posted a theory that maybe that's why he becomes Saul, because mm-hmm. Chuck, the, the, the compromise, once he gets Jimmy, he's got him by the balls, is to be like, look... If you want to do this shit and if you want to be the chimp with the machine gun, you can't do it under the McGill name because it makes HH and M look bad. It makes me look bad, and I just can't have it. And they have like this kind of compromise where as long as he does things under Saul Goodman, uh-huh. uh, he can do it as sleazy as he wants to be. But yeah, maybe so. I don't see Chuck being that rational because mm-hmm. he's very you know fucking ivory tower about all this shit. But that's that was I, I thought that was a pretty good pretty good take on the situation. Yeah. Uh... I do always question, like, exactly how Ivory Tower Chuck is. Like, I believe that he fully uh, commits to, you know, the justice system here, and he thinks that's the way to go. But this um, whole we're everything, officers but, of the court, we, we have a ethical result. Oh, right. Shut the fuck this is up. all in service of sticking it to his brother. Right. So right. while I do believe that he has a lot of respect for the law, mm-hmm. I also believe that he's willing to twist that and use it yes. when it, when it yes, meets uh, his needs. Uh, Jimmy got in some pretty good digs, too. Uh, that whole no wonder Rebecca left you, what yeah. took her so long. Yep. That's a rough one. Pretty. That was, that was, that was below the belt. Yeah. I was surprised that, that we didn't get a bigger reaction out of Chuck. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. Like, if someone kicked in my door and just started ranting, I don't know that each individual thing would land. It'd just be just like, yeah. you know, you're just kind of stunned. <laughs> right. Uh, that's it. That's all I got. All right. Hey, uh, time to pay the bills by talking about club.baldmove.com. And if uh, if you didn't know, we actually got some new software running this whole business that allows you to, to take it for a, a free 30-day test spin trial just by signing up uh, for our, a club account. And we got lots of uh, – I mean, first of all, you get the satisfaction of supporting – 
a a podcast that you presumably enjoy listening to. I mean, you you have made it at least halfway through the podcast without shutting it off and, and mm-hmm. disgust at this point. Uh, but there's also a lot of uh, cool bonus features that only club members get. One of the ones that uh, we've been uh, doing recently is our spoiler movie reviews. We actually go see a movie on Thursday night that comes out this, the, the next Friday. And uh, we do a spoiler-free review for everybody, and we talk about the trailers. But just for club members, we get in the, the, the in, off into the, the spoilery weeds. Last week's uh, movie was Fate of the Furious. And it was one of the more memorable and fun ones we've done. Uh, this, if you if you tune to the very end of this podcast, uh, we're going to have a snippet from that discussion, and it's just the first five minutes of the movie. So there's no heavy spoilers. It's just our recounting of witnessing Dom Toretto win an unconventional street race in Havana, Cuba. It's very. I like that way of putting it. Unconventional. I, I hope you enjoy it. And if you if you like more where that comes from, check out club.baldmove.com. Well, we do have a, a bushel of feedback. Uh, start off with Josh H. There's, uh, as, as usual, we have a little bit of uh, unfinished business from the past episode. Uh, in the season premiere, the book Gene is reading during lunch. Of course, Gene is future Jimmy, post-Saul. Mm-hmm. Uh, is The Moon's a Balloon, the memoir of a British actor, David Niven, perhaps most famous for The Pink Panther and Around the World in 80 Days. That's where I know him from, Pink Panther. Tell me if any of the details about him sound like parallels to anyone you know in the Better Call Saul universe. As a child and young man, Niven regularly got himself into trouble because of his penchant for pulling pranks. That's a lot of peas, man. Uh, (laughs) You got some Jonathan Banks in you. Uh, He was known for his entertaining storytelling and his habit of embellishing the truth. Towards the end of his life, he used a false name to avoid publicity. He allegedly made a handful of deathbed confessions to a biographer, but those confessions are a matter of dispute amongst his family. I don't know if any of these parallels are intentional, and I don't know if there's anything we can learn about Jimmy or Saul here, but this is exactly the type of cool, subtle detail that Vince and Peter put into making this universe. I I mean, I didn't know any of this shit in advance, but this does seem like... Vince Gilligan and Peter Gould seem like they have an encyclopedic knowledge of pop culture, especially as it pertains to cinema in particular. Yeah. And I, there's no way they're unaware of this guy's history, and there's no way that they're unaware that that illusion is being uh, cast when they when they have him reading The Moon's a Balloon. Yeah, I think it plays into that scene perfectly because, you know, he's – He's reading about it and kind of fantasizing about the good old days here, you know? And and he's living a life under a false name. Right. So, yeah, And totally. then he, he accidentally, or not accidentally, but spur of the moment, kind of rats this kid out, and then he feels bad about it. Right. Um, you know, partially because of who he used to be and the reminder that is sitting right in his hands, that book. Yep. Uh, Devin from Virginia. So after listening to last week's podcast, I'm surprised that no one brought up an alternate theory of what happens to Gene to cause him to pass out at the Cinnabon store. Especially since the fall takes place right after Gene can't help but to revert to his true self and help the thief in the face of the authorities. What do we know about Gene Jimmy Saul's earliest days as a scam artist? He used to fall down in front of people and fake injuries in order to swindle and con them. Sure, this particular fall could just be Gene being overwhelmed by adrenaline or anxiety and passing out. But what about the idea that it's all an intentional farce designed for some unknown end? Mm. Especially after just having gotten a taste for defying authority for the first time in a long time. Maybe it's enough to drive him for a full-blown return to his criminal ways. Even the look he gives before passing out could be interpreted as an expression of weighing the pros and cons of returning to criminality. Alternatively, I like that take. Slippin' Gene. Yeah. Slippin' Gene. Alternatively, this could be a poetic reversal. Perhaps this is the true injury which sees him to the hospital where tests is run, files are pulled, and his true identity uncovered. 
or it's a legitimate injury such as a stroke or heart attack that ends up killing him. Either way, the poetic reversal is this. Jimmy found his beginnings by faking falls, but all these years later, it was a real fall that ended him. I like both of those. Yeah. I don't know good. which one I like more. Uh, I think I like the third option where this is this is a real... You give, you, <laughs> where you give Devin the finger and you get your phone call. <laughs> right. right. Uh, what good is an email if you cannot speak? Uh, no, where he takes this fall... And he ends up in the hospital. It's a real fall. He ends up in the hospital. And then Chuck returns. And uh-huh. Chuck finally, Chuck is able to pull the plug on Jimmy mm-hmm. in a coma. Mm. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> right? Uh, Gets his final revenge. Yeah. Dark, but <laughs> pro- appropriate. Uh, do you have any other thoughts or should we continue? No. Uh, Ryan S. Regarding Mike and his pea foods, Mike. Not, it, it, this conspiracy goes deeper. Not only does Mike eat pistachios and pimento sandwiches, but he also drinks Pabst. Oh, he does. May, wouldn't yeah. That be, he, he only he's got a bugaboo. He can only eat and drink things that start with pea. Shit. Yeah. What What more can you say? I didn't realize he extended to his beverages. And here's the thing. Like, I feel like Vince does shit like this to amuse himself. Like, I huh. could totally see him. Hey. Whatever we got Jonathan noshing on, it's got to start with a P, all right? <laughs> right. Um, I don't know where. Like, what other? He's going to be eating pineapple. Uh, pineapple, yeah. He's going to have pineapple rings. He's going to be eating... Uh, uh, pixie sticks. Pigs in a blanket. Pigs in a blanket. <laughs> <laughs> pixie, pixie sticks. Yeah, I like... Draining yeah, pixie uh-huh, sticks. Uh-huh, he's just tapping it in his mouth like a true fiend. <laughs> Uh, Steve F. from Connecticut. Sorry if this is obvious and I missed it, but what happened to the rifle in the back of Mike's car? Now... I actually responded to a couple of people with what I thought happened, but then I kept getting emails like people were really concerned about his guns. I'm like, shit, we'll just consider it on the air. The car that he took apart? Yeah. The Villigan goes out of his way to show it rattling around in the back of Mike's station wagon when he angrily drove off after getting the don't note. But I think this next thing we know, or next thing we know, he's at the junkyard ripping the car apart and then he leaves in a cab. So what happens to the rifle? Did he bury or stash it somewhere before getting to the junkyard or did I miss a scene? What do you think, man? It's a good question. I don't know. My thought is he's got this big ass fifty caliber battle rifle that is also a burner. It's got no serial numbers on it. It was paid for in cash through some That's undocumented true. seller. Do you get in a cab like like if you, you you take a cab from a junkyard? That's not too remarkable. The guy drove his car there and now he needs to ride. Yeah, you get in the back seat with a giant ass fucking rifle case. Mm-hmm. That's something that someone might remember. Yeah, if the cops are asking questions later. So, is this not the same junkyard that's kind of a little dirty? I don't know. I didn't recognize any of the players. Yeah. But, I, I I mean, and this is, like, if you run a junkyard, nothing against it. But I feel like all junkyard owners just got a little bit of shady to them. Oh, it's a fact, yeah. Yeah. Like, like if, if, if like, I just feel like if you're the type of person who runs a junkyard... Mm-hmm. And someone's like, "Hey, can you can you can you crush this RV? Or hey, can you can you run this station wagon with a gun and back through a chipper?" You'd be like, yeah. "No problem." Yeah, they got the tools. Yeah, they, they know how to use them. Yeah, and you got the ultimate defense. I didn't fucking know. Is like I'm just crushing a car. Fuck off, copper. Right. And you guys probably like that, you junkyard dealers. Yeah. Uh, so I I feel like that's that's the thing. He just he just uh, this guy's Monster Joe. And he's getting rid of a body for him, or he's getting rid of a gun. Okay. Um, Chris from Bowie. 
I think it's weird in the flashes forward that they don't show Saul as wealthy. Wouldn't he have had made millions laundering funds for Walt? Isn't that how he pays to be relocated? I feel like the show is fixating on the negative, but a few million goes far towards making Omaha more palatable. I think we just spot Chris as the guy who wouldn't make it in witness protection. Yeah, he'd be out there with his Hummer with flames all over it and his <laughs> yeah, red and orange shoes. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, that's how you get made, man. You flash yeah. cash that you can't possibly realistically have. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the hell of being a criminal. It's not just laundering your cash. It's spending it because, I mean, that's how they brought down Capone. I mean, that's, that was, you know, the crux of the problem for Walt right. later on. You know, he had stacks and stacks had, of cash he couldn't spend. He had a, a, a pallets of it in a storage shed that they were just spraying for, to keep bugs out of it because yeah. there's, there's only so much you can spend in a, in, a, in a human lifetime, especially when you're paying cash. Yeah. Uh, if you're smart anyway. Right. I mean, you could be real dumb and you could go, uh, I mean... You know, Skyler was worried about a bottle of wine or a bottle of champagne or whatever, but I, I there do, are people who go overboard. Like I, I, I think there's ways you can do it appropriately. Like mm-hmm. you can probably have, like you can probably flash a little bit in your dress. You can probably drink real nice, you fancy can, meals. Yeah, you can, but but you, you, your car and your house and your your overall lifestyle. You know, if he's living a millionaire's lifestyle as he's managing a Cinnabon, yeah. Uh, that's that's going to get that's going to get you gonna get you made and and there's a lot of people presu- presumably not just the law but there's a lot of people that are looking for that would look for Jimmy mm-hmm. look for Saul so that's my take on it uh, Super Serial says I thought it would be an interesting point for you guys to discuss the imagery they use when, with Jimmy's freshly painted wall at first it was an obvious remnant of the stock market crash but then Jimmy explicitly calls us out which seemed to me lazy writing for Vince Gilligan show. Hmm. Then I realized the office has a mirrored ceiling. This is a clear imagery that while the current rule-abiding Jimmy is on a downward trajectory, his mirrored version, Saul Goodman, is or would be on an upward trajectory. Then he defiantly Hmm. tears off the tape, creating a rough edge on this smooth line. I thought it was a clever use of imagery that we are accustomed to seeing in Gilligan uh, after initially thinking it was lazy. Uh, I don't know if I need to discuss it. That's a pretty fucking good take. It is. I I mean, I, I... I disagree that it's lazy writing yeah. to have something and then and then call it out. Yeah. Because um, I honestly I never thought stock market. I thought Metallica, in the guy never figured out how to end. I didn't on either. His notebook. I I don't know why because it seems obvious. When as they soon point as he it said out, it, but, as soon as he said it, yeah. I'm like, oh yes. But I didn't. I didn't. I didn't make the association right away. The other connection I didn't make. Not only is you know he unrolling the tape off the wall the same way that his brother showed him but it's tape right he's sitting there staring at tape thinking about the tape ah that i just now made that connection that i didn't make before weird good call very c uh i think the last two episodes have been great very few shows could have made some very mundane plots like gus fring sweeps up near saul (laughs) and turn it into something thoroughly exciting some quick questions for you to ponder one is the reason the long scenes with not much happening working because we know what is coming Watching Gus sweeping behind Jimmy was super exciting, but would the last two episodes fall flat for someone watching them in a timeline order who hasn't seen Breaking Bad? I know those people exist because they email us anytime we question their existence. <laughs> right. But I don't know about last episode because that was objectively kind of tense and fascinating. Yeah, that's what I thought. I think he's got a point. Because you see this dude in the shirt, the yellow-green shirt, come up behind you. You don't even know what the hell's going on. Yeah, so that was the thing. I... I feel like some of these scenes are made only for people 
who are Breaking Bad fans. And I yeah. don't know that that's the wrong decision to make. Right. I just think, boy, the people who've never seen Breaking Bad must not be having much fun right I now. I also think that explains some of your frustration because they play the ominous music as 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 Gus reveals himself in the foreground. And and the Los Polos Hermanos ominous music just to kind of clue people in that this is something dangerous and bad, and that Gus and overall who who yeah. seems like just a mild mannered nice guy is some kind of threat. Yeah, because I I do know that I think that's they've said that as a mission statement in one of the previous podcasts that they have to treat this show even though ninety percent of the audience has seen it they do have to make it for people that haven't seen it before. Yeah, so but that's the shitty thing about them being betrayed by the advertising campaign. The marketing on this thing is blowing up their spot. Yeah, but you know, they, there's not there's there's nothing they can really do about that. I suppose. Yeah, uh, is the only is, uh, number two is the only time we will ever see Jimmy and Gus on screen together. Is this the only time? Rather, I think so. I think it could be. Do you agree that every single time they put those two together, that it's pushing their luck a bit? It's yeah. straining the, the suspension of disbelief that that Jimmy or the Saul wouldn't know who Gus is. I think so. Although I don't know, like it would also be kind of funny if Gus or if 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 uh, Jimmy tries this place and decides he has a taste for it. Although he never actually tried the food, did he? He didn't. He didn't take a single bite. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he threw a whole chicken away. <laughs> Uh, three, when the camera pans away from Mike's car to reveal Los Poyos Hermanos near the start of the episode, would that have been a more exciting end of season two finale? Hmm. It's an interesting thought because with as much, I don't, again, I don't call it padding, but with as little plot that's been unspooled these last two episodes, that would have been a pretty, pretty good exclamation point. But on the other hand, the reveal of Chuck taping that was a pretty good cliffhanger, too. Yeah, and it it felt like a culmination of the season. Um, Right. Whereas I don't feel – I feel like this would have been setting up the new season, which is also something they can do. And also it would have been a better finale for the show, the theoretical show Better Call Mike. Right. Because never forget, these plots really have nothing to do with each other. Yeah. Except for these guys have a – it's it's almost like watching two separate shows that it, it it's like watching Frasier and Cheers. Right. The only thing they have in common is that Frasier knew this dude that ran a bar in Boston. Yeah. So like, you know, that would be weird. Like if the only time like if the show happened simultaneously and the only time they got is like when Frasier's hey, hey Sam, what beer would you recommend for a Right and it's then like, they, what would I know? I'm just a major league pitcher that hates running a bar. And uh, then they end the season on like I don't know, Frazier fucking up on the radio or something, right? Like, this is Cheers, man. What, what, is, what are they doing? Yeah, what's Sorta, going on with yeah. Sam and Diane? Who gives a shit about Frazier? <laughs> right. Um, Reginald, I seriously underestimated Jimmy's affection for his brother. When Kim told him about the tape Chuck secretly made of Jimmy's confession, I seriously thought Jimmy would start doing a slow golf clap and say something like, well played, with a sort of game-recognized game attitude. But he didn't do anything close to that. He had a meltdown. He, But I think he's more hurt than mad. Jimmy was naive and now feels the sharp blade of betrayal. Jimmy played, or Chuck played Jimmy and Ernesto perfectly because, as Chuck says, I know my brother. But that's only a small part of the equation that encompasses the brother's relationship. Which brings us to the question, how do you make a car go forward? If a person answers that question by saying, well, you step on the accelerator, they wouldn't be wrong, but they wouldn't be totally correct. To make a car go, you need gas in the tank, a battery that's charged, an engine in working order. 
Um, that's all you need. If, if, if you watch the latest Fast and the Furious, you strip everything off, you can still <laughs> win a race true. in Havana, Cuba. I just need a bottle of Nas, and I'm good. <laughs> Cuban Nas. Yeah. Uh, Chuck only knows about Jimmy's more base nature and motivations. Sure, Jimmy's selfish, childish, and deceitful. But he's also loyal and caring. Because he doesn't acknowledge all of what makes Jimmy go, he is missing out on what could be an imperfect but still warm brotherly relationship. Sure. And it's especially poignant because those qualities are ones that Chuck lacks. Yeah. And yeah, and maybe has cultivated the lack of them because of Jimmy. Yeah, because the way he sees the, Jimmy, yeah, he associates those as like tools of a deceitful person. Right. Like if you're just plain dealing, you don't have to put put on you know put people at ease because why would they be uncomfortable? Right. Interesting, interesting psychological take. Uh, D. Kane for North it's Superman himself. <laughs> Superman again? Yeah, he's straight, he he uh, was one of the, the the multiple commissioners of the Tombstone podcast. Uh-huh. And he he swooped in to save the, the the feedback. Tombstone? We didn't do Tombstone. I'm sorry. There will be blood. There will be blood. Yeah, we need to do Tombstone eventually. I have to say, I was shocked by the first podcast because I was ready for you two to smoke this show Walking Dead style. The first episode was longer than a Breaking Bad breakfast scene, and nothing happened. I just had to turn episode <laughs> two off after 12 minutes of nothing happening. I'll watch the rest after your podcast, but it seems to me the writers know they have no good material for this show, and they are piling on the filler and expecting the loyal fans to call it art. David, not Dean Cain from Superman. Sorry to explain. <laughs> oh, well, this email has just gone completely yeah. off the rails. Why do we even read it? <laughs> so, the only I, I mean, you're not wrong, David, mm-hmm. but... You can't, I mean, yes, I'm a loyal fan and I'm calling it art, but I'm not wrong either. <laughs> this is fucking, this is art. It is very, very artfully done. Yeah. Yeah, but I agree. But you're also not wrong that it's also about 15 minutes worth of plot in any given hour of Better Call Saul these first two seasons. Yeah. It just so happened that episode one was gripping for a lot of other reasons. Um, yeah. Kind of the mystery of what Mike was doing um, was a big part of it. Yeah. And then this episode fell a little flatter for me. And I never so, know with, you on that. with people like what involvement they are because like in this modern age like there's a lot of distraction and I feel like this works to the extent that you're willing to devote an hour and just let yourself be absorbed into it. Yeah. Um but I also think that the show sometimes doesn't make it easy. Um so like again, I mean it's it's this show is very artfully done and they're made by people that are using state of the art technology and 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 decades of experience to to make it look and feel awesome but um it's a slow burn it's a real slow burn yeah it's a it's a it's a fat boy cigar type of a slow slow burn um anyway moving on jenkins b comparing breaking bad up to season three episode two versus better call Saul up to season three episode two i have to give better call or better call Saul the slight lead here hmm Interesting. Really? Make no, because I, hmm. I feel like we're going to have strong, strong feelings about this. Make no mistake, both are great shows, but Breaking Bad's finest work began in late season three onwards, whereas Better Call Saul was intriguing from the get-go. When comparing these shows, you always have to factor in that Better Call Saul is already at a disadvantage from the most viewers having foreknowledge of the characters' arcs and destinies and that this corners the creativity of the writing. One of the early appeals of Breaking Bad is the action infused with exhilarating drama, whereas Better Call Saul hooks you on purely drama. We're just as invested in side characters as much as the main ones. Do you agree with that? Purely drama? No. Because I feel like Better Call Saul leans on comedy the same way that Breaking Bad leaned on action and dark comedy. And I think the action in this show, um, it's still action, but it's it's muted in, in a way that befits Mike, you know? 
Like Mike's still out there doing a lot of things that you'd see in Breaking Bad. You think we're gonna see Mike in the, with a gun in his hand? Well, I mean, we've already seen Mike with a gun in his hand. Yeah, yeah. I feel like we're this close to seeing Mike do some some awesome Rambo shit. We could be. And then you know Nacho blocked his his sight lines. Yes, yeah. but I I mean that was some of the coolest stuff in Breaking Bad where Mike just single handedly took down a warehouse or a chicken truck or whatever he needed to do. You know, I feel like last season we were so busy. That I, we're getting. I'm going to get way afield from his questionnaire or okay. his statement. Okay. Last we, season we were so focused on, like, is this Gus who put this thing on the windshield that says "Don't"? Right. We never stopped to think. Okay, we know it's Gus. Yes. Because Fring's back. Oh, also AMC's going to blow blow this shit right out of the water with their advertising. Right. We never stopped to think why this would be a problem for Gus. Because it would be a huge problem for Gus, right? If suddenly Hector were to be killed. Why? Because I assume at this point that the whole thing with Max has probably happened. Oh, yeah. Um, and that Gus would be high up on the list of people who might be suspected oh, if Hector were to be blown away. Oh, right. Right. Huh. I think that could be a huge problem. Because I was him. thinking that like he would just want his revenge himself, which I don't know that that fits in with Gus. But you're right. Gus is in the position where if he moved on any of the cartel, he's the chief suspect, so he had to wait until he could be in a position to take them all out in one killing stroke. Right, like we saw in Breaking Bad. And that's a pretty good analysis. Yeah. So I just don't think we got that in last season. And I right. just it just struck me. Uh he continues one of the earlier appeals of Breaking Bad wait, wait sorry. Um we're just in in, in Better Call Saul, we're just invested in side characters as much as the main ones. I mean, even Ernesto's storylines, uh, motivations are captivating at the end of this show, however long it runs. We'll have to do quite a lot to beat Breaking Bad since season four and five of that show were, was, <laughs> of course, orgasmic. But as of now, I give Better Call Saul the, the lead. I, I don't... I did look up see, uh, episode one and two of season three as Nomas and uh, Caballo Sin Nombre, the horse with no name. And those are pretty slow burns because you just had a plain... Crash down on Walt's face. Uh-huh. Skyler is threatening to leave him. She's seen a divorce lawyer. Jesse is is broken over Jane, and there's just a lot of this is just fallout from what happened. Yeah. So that's why I thought it was interesting that people are saying this is so slow paced because those are some pretty slow episodes to start. Now, the the, the difference is these two episodes have the menace of the tape, and what's Ernie going to do? Those episodes have the fucking cousins crawling to a death shrine and sharpening their shiny chrome axe. Uh-huh. Like the, st- the, the 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 plot that's simmering underneath was just much more ostentatious and higher and, stakes, and, higher stakes yeah. and 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 crazy mm-hmm. than what's simmering beneath the surface of of Better Call Saul at the moment. I mean, the cousins are still out yeah. there, and and uh, the, the the but they're they're taken care of for the moment right now. Yeah. Um, I, I think like, I'm trying to think back to the, you know, ups and downs of seasons one and two and Breaking Bad, and you know that season starts out with a bang, like or that series starts out with a bang, like mm-hmm. this man who uh, is changed by his cancer diagnosis and right. and you know comes to this idea of what he's going to do, and it it kind of starts off like a rocket ship. Yeah, it's a um, high-speed, meth-fueled RV chase down a desert road. Right, <laughs> which <laughs> With I a felt... wearing a gas mask and underwear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and I felt like Better Call Saul kind of started out a little rocky. Like, yeah. I didn't like the very first episode very much yeah. at all. 
Um, or was it the second episode? It's both. Whichever one, was... they spend like 90% of the episode in the desert with Tuco. Right. Um, really dislike that. Uh, I feel like Vince way too heavy. Like, like in, I mean, I want to criticize him, but it seems like in retrospect that what happened was they didn't have a really clear insertion point. Because mm-hmm. they're just making shit up as they go. But they're like, we need to find Jimmy at... He's got to already be a lawyer, probably, and da da da. And, and instead of having like that, like oh god, uh, pulse pounding chase through the desert, um, we got just a completely leaning on nostalgia. Yeah. Um, so that didn't really do it for me. But then I, I do think that a lot of season one was really, really good. Mm-hmm. Um, same with season two. And I mean, Breaking Bad had its, you know, its highs for sure. I mean, Jane. That stuff was intense. Um, even the stuff with, you know, Crazy 8, though some of it was a slow burn, right. was still amazing. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm i not sure I would give the edge to Better Call Saul, but I can maybe see why some people would. How about this? It's comparing apples to oranges. It's like comparing, In some ways, yeah. It's comparing MASH to Always Sunny. Mm-hmm. Like... They're completely different tones. They're complete. They have, I mean, or, or mash the movie to mash the series. Like mm-hmm. they have. I mean, I, I just, I just don't feel like it's. It does either one of them justice to say that you know which is better, which is more entertaining. Um, yeah, I mean, it's going to be hard for me to say that that Better Call Saul is ever going to be greater than Breaking Bad. Now, it'd be, I'd be delighted to take those words back. Right. But the stakes are starting as high. And, you know, and then, and I'm not even going to say, well, well, we know what fucking happened to Jim. Well, fuck, we knew what happened to Walt. Right. The man was, <laughs> was, was, was riddled with cancer and is cooking meth and his brother in law is yeah. a DEA agent. <laughs> right. What do you, you think this is happen? going to end happy? No. No. So uh, the question was who, how many is going to die and how many of Walt's family is going to die and all that kind of – basically the same questions we have with Jimmy. Yeah. How many people is he going to take down and slide into, into Saul? Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I, 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 I don't know that I'm super interested in doing a lot of comparisons moving forward, but we'll, we'll see. Doug L., he's got the legal corner. Yep. And as you predicted, he wants to talk about U.S. versus Keith McKeever. Uh, it really speaks to Villa Gang's attention to detail because that is indeed a real case relating to the admissibility of secretly recorded audio tapes. It's federal case from 1953 out of New York. Ah, 1953, see? That's that's the wrong decade. Uh, oh, what kind of audio tape recordings do, do you fucking make surreptitiously <laughs> someone put in giant, 1953? Someone put a giant reel-to-reel system on right? the nipples. It was spooling from the right <laughs> nipple to the left. They had a magnetic sensor and a belly button that was doing all, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Jesus. No, here's what happened. They had one of those, uh, they, they had a, like a replica of, fuck, what's the robot from Lost in Space? Yeah. They, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They had, they had, just the sitting in the corner. Robbie the robot. Yeah. It reminds me of like, have you seen the Starsky and Hutch remake with Ben uh-huh. Stiller? It's like when they had the Snoop Dogg as Huggy Bear and they're, they're strapping a wire to him. And it was literally like they're duct taping this enormous tape recorder to him. And he's like, what? Because, uh-huh. you know, Snoop Dogg's like, 100 pounds soaking wet. Yeah. Anyway, I don't care how big your mink coat is. They ain't going to cover all that <laughs> shit. So, uh, apparently, this was actually... A, this was start the Starsky and Hutch case. Um, okay. So, it's a federal case from 1953 where the court articulated a test involving the reliability of recording. Basically, did the device work correctly? Wow. Was the recording monkeyed with in some way? And most importantly, can someone authenticate the tape by testifying they recognize who the voices are? 
But that won't help Jimmy. The recording worked just fine. It's crystal clear, and there's no mistaking who those voices are. That disagrees. Quick, huh? Kim disagrees, but yeah. Well, not only okay. that, but in, I mean, this was obviously set back 10 years ago, but like yeah. they just debuted technology last year that allows you to essentially fake voice recordings at will. Yeah. It's like we're living in a fascinating modern age where video and audio evidence is going to be highly suspect moving forward. I don't know what the hell is going to happen. But the bigger question is how Jimmy gets out of the position he puts himself in. Three witnesses observed him commit a home invasion, steal something, and destroy evidence. I don't really think that he has a legal defense here. That means he'll need a non-legal tactic. Somehow he'll need to leverage Chuck into dropping the charges. Sounds something more like uh, something Saul would do, not Jimmy. Um, Is there also room for Chuck to feel... In, in exact the same way that sometimes Jimmy has had the position where he could deal with Chuck. He could have him committed. Yeah. And he's got an authority figure telling him that we should have you committed. Um, I wonder if they're going to have a parallel structure where now that Chuck's got him where he wants him, he can't. And maybe I was wrong. Also, maybe I was wrong about last season where Jimmy said, I'll quit being a lawyer. I'll fight. And, and, and Chuck, I always said that was because Chuck – was afraid of the the naked extortion charge. Yeah. But maybe it's because he actually once Jimmy n- just said articulated clearly what 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 Chuck wanted, Chuck was like, "Oh, I sound like a fucking asshole. No, that's not what I want." <laughs> I wonder if he I don't know. What does he what does he want from Jimmy? Does he want him to stop does he want him to stop practicing law? Definitely. Does he want him in jail? I don't know about that. Does he want him to pay for a lifetime of getting away? These are the things. I, like, I have no idea how deep this pathos goes. Yeah. And I think that in there is the answer of how this will work out. I think what's going to happen is Jimmy – like, I, I think what's going to happen – like, like I, I, I agree with what Paul – or um, not Paul. I agree with what Doug is saying here that it sounds like what you're going to do what, – what's going to happen is this season's going to end with Chuck being committed. Jimmy's just going to take him out out of the out of the game in period i mean that's a way to do it for sure yeah. um and it would be very easy to manipulate chuck into having a very public meltdown yeah um i mean oh, shit I mean, we've get seen it happen the... many many times this season or this series already yeah so he just does another one like maybe even at the like his arrange like and then what's going to happen yeah, getting Chuck into a courtroom would be interesting, too. <laughs> right. Like, how does that work? They're not going to shut off the fucking lights for this guy. Right. And, you know, that at this point, doesn't Jimmy and Kim know how compromised Howard is? Like, how much of this stuff that Howard is forced him to do behind his back? Because I feel like if you uh, get I him... I Kim probably does, I yeah. feel like you get him on the witness stand, and you could really make a lot of how Chuck has had and this has all been engineered and this this is a guy like I guess, like I said earlier in the podcast this is a guy who went beyond above and beyond to coddle his brother who believes in all these crazy conspiracy theories yeah. and it bit him in the ass and his ra- like like what crime really was committed I would love to see a battle between Jimmy and Chuck in a, a courtroom because yeah. Chuck's because you know there's this old argument of if, if the law's not on your side what is it like? Go for emotion, or, or okay. go for the fact. If the law's not on your side, argue the facts. The facts are on your side, uh, argue the law. Right. Like I feel like that would be. Except for Jimmy, would just be arguing bullshit. Like like Chuck would be yeah, straight I mean, arrow, he can... and and he would be like just just tenacious and and bulldog like, and yeah. Jimmy would be slipping here and slipping there. And, Absolutely. And Which hey, one wins? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Right. At the end of the day, I would love to see that. 
I hope they go that drought, that drought, that direction. Well, that route. New Mexico is very dry. That drought they might go. They might go in a drought direction in a courtroom. Okay, involuntarily. Involuntar- Chuck all dried up and see how he fares. <laughs> uh, Jimmy's going to convince him he's allergic to water. There you go, and he'll die three days later. <laughs> Uh, that, uh, what is, what do they call that? Dihydrogen monoxide? Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> Have you read about the, 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 the dangers of dihydrogen monoxide, Chuck? <laughs> it's everywhere. Yeah, if you aspirate just a teaspoon you. of it, it can kill you. Yep. Um, yeah, so anyway, uh, that's it for the feedback. If you'd like to send us more going forward, uh, better call Saul, or I'm sorry, better cast Saul at baldmove.com. We'll get you there. Okay. And also, we have threads on the forums every week where people are are, are, are talking and, and and juking and jiving and all kinds of stuff, all kinds they of are. lingo the kids are slinging today. They're slipping, slipping all slipping. over the place. They're in that forum. There's class action suits brought against everyone every week. It's it's, <laughs> it's, it's a lot of fun. So yeah. we will see you next week uh, with the next episode. Until then, I'm Aaron and I'm Jim. Bye bye. I think this is the most cohesive plot they've had in the good, good, few, yeah. fast and furious. Now that you're going to see some insane stuff, like the the <laughs> opening in the opening scene was beautiful shots of Cuba, yeah, and Havana. Which can we go there now? Can we just get on a plane and go I to Cuba now? I Think so, because I honestly can't wait. That's like I want to do that in the next two years because I think it looks beautiful before they upgrade their cars, like update. Them. Yeah, that's yeah. yeah, yes, yes. Like I want to get there before. I mean, I don't know. Like, I, I I feel like I'm saying I want to get there while it's still a third world shithole. But I want to get there while it still has the Cuban flavor. You but know? do you think? You don't wanna... so do you, how? But do you think how long do you think it's going to take to beat that out of them? Like, they're oh, surely time, not going to but... like like even after it's been completely commercialized, they're still going to be driving around those old ass yeah. classic Chevys because they're fucking cool. That's true. So like they'll just be ever more tricked out and fancy. They might be with... sick of them, man. They're cool to us because we haven't seen them in fifty years, sixty years, but. They might be sick of that shit. Like, I've been driving around this piece of shit. i got a boat engine in my car. I'm done with this. Give me a Prius, motherfucker. Yes. No one saw that coming, that they did this willingly give away their their, their shitty 50s Chevys in in favor of smart cars. Yeah. And uh, Teslas. They're all about Tesla. Um, But it was awesome. But here's the thing. Dom says, you know, well, you can have the car if you want to take the car. You got to win the car. Uh-huh. And the guy's like, I already own the car, motherfucker. And Ben's like, no, no, no. It's my out. car. And, he, you know, he's got this souped up muscle car like he does. And uh, the guy races him. Here's the thing. This guy's got the slowest car in Cuba. All right. His cousin. <laughs> yeah. Vin starts saying. If it ain't the battery or the motor or the gas pedal, rip it off. And he takes, like, the two fenders off, and that's it. Yeah, he kicks the – he beats it up like Street Fighter. <laughs> <laughs> like the bonus stage of Street Fighter. Yeah. But he just stops when he gets the first the, – the two quarter panels done. Right, right. He doesn't go around the like, back. Like, I want to see the windshield gone. I want to see the roof the gone. Roof. I want to yep. see, like, the trunk gone. Like, he should have got out that big saw that yeah. he saws through the limousine with. Hell, Yeah. Bust, bust that car into pieces. Turn it into a trike, and you might have a chance. 
get rid of the giant fat roll he got back on the neck. There's 10, 15 pounds right there. That's just dead weight, Vince. Yeah, maybe put someone smaller in the that's cockpit. Just, that's, just dead, that's just dead weight, Vince. Oh, man. Uh, but anyway, so he hooks up a NOS, a Cuban NOS, which is got, yeah. it's wrapped up like some kind of Cuban cigar. And they put it in there, and they hook it up with like some kind of Diet Coke tab. And Letty's all like, oh, Vin, you're going to blow this shit up? He's like, yeah, but before I do that, I'm going to win the race. <laughs> and I'm telling you, he pops the Nas on this piece of shit car. Yep. And the engine is glowing like white hot, like yeah. like Chernobyl. Like the elephant's foot is mel- molting through the reactor core and, and breaching containment. Yeah, and the whole car, the whole thing is engulfed in flames. It is. So he 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 flips and his a... windshield like melts out. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's too hot and pops out. Yeah, and he's being burned alive. In the he is, but he's surprisingly resistant to flame. This is like Danny yeah. from Game of Thrones. You need to remember this for season season seven. Uh-huh. Uh huh. He flips it in reverse. And then Hits somehow, the NOS again. But, but, he, no, but he pulls the NOS and the hose off. Oh, I didn't understand right. this part of it. And suddenly it's triple charged. Mm-hmm. The engine explodes. But he's going like 150 miles an hour. In re- he's beating this guy in reverse, which I don't even know how that, that works. I don't think that works. And the then, gears aren't there for it. No. It's like try, it's like racing someone in first gear. Yeah. Then the, expo- the engine exploding mm-hmm. gave him the little extra thrust to actually win the race. <laughs> And then he can't stop it because the brakes have melted out of the thing. Because the whole front of the car is is essentially a blacksmith's forge at this point. Right. And it hits an embankment. He rolls out like like it's nothing on concrete. And then it hits this embankment, goes up into the air, and lands in the ocean. Yeah. 